It's the show the establishment warned you about. That's right, this is the Dr. Tommy Show, and I am joining you here live from the free state of Florida, where we are enjoying some nice weather. It is warm and is not too cold, but it is winter for us, and that's our normal thing. We messed up. We had some uh, planting we did uh, on our garden a few weeks ago, actually back in January. And uh, because of the skyrocketing cost of, uh, of groceries, we decided we have to have our own farm in order to survive. But really what we did was we planted our garden, which is about 1,600 square feet, and we planted it too, too early maybe for some of the stuff, and so I have to go back and replant it. So that's one of the things you can do here in the free state of Florida is, is garden almost year-round if you'd like, and we are, um, we're happy to do that. Uh, other thing is um, the free state of Florida allows you to do is, uh, is to go to Disney World now unvaccinated. This is from the Breitbart.com. It says Disney World to make face coverings optional on, on honor system for fully vaccinated and mandatory for unvaccinated guests to and up indoors. So it says Walt Disney World Resort will begin making facial coverings optional for guests who are fully vaccinated against COVID-19, the company said Tuesday. This is this week. The rule change will take a place Thursday. And then it says there are no protocols for determining who is and who is not vaccinated, meaning guests are using the honor system. And it goes on to say that uh, it's still going to require masks in the uh, enclosed Disney transportation, including Disney buses, monorails and Disney Skyliner. That's interesting because uh, as far as I know, there's no uh, evidence and Disney fully aware knows us too. There's no evidence that being vaccinated is going to make you um, unable to spread COVID, but apparently uh, they're they're doing this. And I, I'm not really sure what this is about. This is similar to what they're doing with the schools. Uh, the schools now are are backing off the vac- mask mandates throughout the country where they already where they still have them. Actually, Loudoun County, Virginia, was just sued um, for having a mask mandate. Actually, a court. Yeah, court said that their mask mandate was illegal, which it actually is illegal because the new governor, uh, Greg Youngkin, in Virginia made a executive order saying that you are not allowed to mandate masks without an uh, option for getting out. I assume that's what he did. That's the same thing that um, Governor DeSantis did down here in the free state was allow us to have freedom of choice so that we didn't have to um, uh, wear a mask for your children if you didn't want them to. But anyway, so, so it's interesting that the schools now throughout this, throughout our country are starting to wisen up to the fact that people are sick of masking. And I'll think what's coming, what's happening is more people are listening to uh, disreputable sources such as myself who are saying things like uh, maybe masks aren't, um, aren't as effective as they were purported to be, which almost everyone I think suspected from the beginning who wasn't completely stridently uh, pro mask. Anybody who's objectively looking at things can say, you know, if, if a person's wearing a mask and they have a, an opening beside their mouth, how is the virus going to know to not go through the mask that it can go through because it's smaller than the mask holes. But not only that, to not go around the mask into that little crack into the person's mouth. And then we have the thing with the, uh, of course, the plastic, which Tracy pointed out when you go to Plex, <laughs> when you go to do these uh checkout they have a plexiglass in front of you and uh she she said that uh, she was trying to hand something to somebody and you couldn't do it through the plexiglass 
so then they say, oh, go down here. And now you hand it to me. So we, we do the plexiglass just for show to make people feel better for theater, to make people feel protected. And that's what all this masking is about anyways for theater. And, you know, and it's not, don't just take my word for it. Dr. Fauci himself has said that. He said that initially. He said that, you know, masks can make you feel good, but they really don't really have a, a uh, they, they don't have a role in a pandemic. But he quickly changed tune and is now the most, uh, pro mask person you've ever met. Uh, some interesting news here from Florida. This is, uh, I don't know where I saw this, but the release, the report for the Brian laundry autopsy and to call it an autopsy is really kind of a stretch because it was more like a, um, architecture or I'm sorry, a, uh, anthropologic, uh, examination because there was bones only and there was no soft tissue. But anyway, this was uh, the, the, the couple who traveled across the United States in a van. And I guess they were some type of YouTube sensation. And then, as most people know, uh, Brian Laundrie showed back up in, in Florida without his girlfriend. And uh, nobody really asked, where's your girlfriend, according to the family? They just assumed that, I don't know what they assumed. They said they never, never came up where she was. And then shortly after that, we found out that... Um, you know, she was, she was found, uh, murdered, uh, strangled in, in the different part of the country. And then Brian Laundry was back here and he was the, the, the local police was watching him and watching him because they couldn't arrest him. They didn't have anything to arrest him on, but then they finally got something to arrest him on because they said that he used her, her ID or her, sorry, her uh, debit card without her permission. So that was the law. So they're going to go to arrest him. And of course, when they went to arrest him, he wasn't there. Anyway, the parents told us that, you know, they, they don't know where he's at. And anyway, they found him. Okay. And this is the, this is the examination of the skeletal remains. And it was pretty amazing. They said it was, I think if I read, remember correctly, it was, it was covered about 250 feet where they found this, uh, different, different remains. Cause, uh, he was shot by himself apparently. And then the, uh, animals did things with the carcass and took it away. His, his, uh, corpse. Evidence of injury. This is from the autopsy report that you can get publicly from the District 12 Medical Examiner in Florida. And it says here, evidence of injury, perforating gunshot wound of the head. Of head. In summary, extensive fracturing included, including comminuted and intersecting linear and basilar fractures with associated cranium, cranial fragmentation is consistent with gunshot wound trauma. Evidence of a single perforating gunshot entering the left temporal cranium and exiting the right middle inferior parietal cranium just above the temporal bone squamous suture is identified. It says, therefore, the overall trajectory of the gunshot wound is to the left, is left to right, very slightly upward and having little to no significance, significant front to back deviation. I don't know what he shot himself with, what type of uh, caliber they determined it was. I'm sure they were able to figure it out. But they did, I didn't see in there. I didn't read the whole thing. It's just kind of interesting that they were able to do an autopsy. And I, I commend them for that. that was, I was pretty amazed that given the relative lack of, of a body that they could do an autopsy. And luckily they found enough to say what it was. And presumably he was shot, by, shot himself, although we have obviously no proof of that, except for what it seems like it would be most likely. Oh... Uh, this is something, this is, this is a little bit annoying to me, but 
It's a good lesson. Okay, it says this is from the right scoop. Unshocker, patients are worse off when getting COVID if they have a vitamin D deficiency. It says a new study reveals that patients tend to be much worse off if they had a vitamin D deficiency when contracting COVID. And then a right scoop links to Fox News where it says, people who have a vitamin D deficiency are more likely to have a severe or fatal case of COVID-19 researchers said. So this came out, this is from February 16th. More than 250 patients had records of vitamin D levels prior to COVID-19 COVID-19 infection. And the team found that the patients with vitamin D deficiency were 14 times more likely to have a severe or critical case of COVID-19. This was from a retrospective study published in the journal. I'm not sure what this one stands for. It's PLOS one scientists from get Galilee medical center and bar Ilan university in Israel examined the records of more than 1,176 patients. Now, why did they say they examined the records of more than 1,176? Why didn't should they just say what, how many it was? Was it 1,180? Was it 1,177? Was it 2 million? But anyway, they get, examined the records of more than 1,176. This is, this is uh, journalism. Uh, it said a lower vitamin D status was more common in patients with severe or critical disease than in individuals with mild or moderate disease. And it says, our results suggest it is advisable to maintain normal levels of vitamin D. This will be beneficial to those who contract the virus. There is a clear consensus for vitamin D supplementation on a regular basis as advised by local health authorities as well as the global health organizations. Because we all know that the global health organizations like the WHO are who you go to for truth and honesty and reporting. So that's interesting because most of us who are kind of following, I guess, not the science, because if you follow what we're talking about, you're, you're told you're not following the science, have said that zinc and uh, vitamin C and vitamin D are beneficial to have for either prevention of COVID or for um, uh, helping with COVID if you do get it. So um, what is a good vitamin D level is like the range goes from three, 30 to 100. I'm not sure what the units are that they're measuring, but if you get to your standard vitamin D panel, say 30 to 100, and we always, I try to tell patients to get to 50. So 50 is about uh, midway between that range, a little bit less than midway. But I think that people, when they're at 50, at least when I see, when I see them, they seem to re- report less of the things that they uh, had when they had low vitamin D, such as weakness, not weakness, um, fatigue and, uh, fatigue and muscle pain and joint pain, kind of body aches is kind of the most prominent things that I see with vitamin D deficiency. Anyway, we try to get people to 50. So anyway, so that's, that's a, an update from Fox news. And then, so we say, well, what does the CDC say? Because they CDC follows the guidance, right? For follows the science, Dr. Fauci, it says recommendation, vitamin D. This was updated April 21, 2021. So this has not been updated since almost a year ago. There is insufficient evidence to recommend either for or against the use of vitamin D for the prevention of treatment or treatment of COVID-19. All right. It says vitamin D is critical for bone and mineral metabolism because the vitamin D receptor is expressed on immune cells, such as B cells, T cells, and antigen presenting cells. And because these cells can synthesize the active vitamin D, vitamin D metabolite, 
Vitamin D also has the potential to modulate innate and adaptive immune responses. Well, that sounds like a good reason to have vitamin D, right? It's on the immune cells. There's a, there's a, so the cells have a receptor and the receptor says, uh, this is something that we should, uh, incorporate into our plan here. This is a piece of vitamin D floating around. So let's use that. So theoretically, or presumably that helps with the immune cell. So it says here, um, it says vitamin D, this is later on in the CDC uh, guidance. Vitamin D supplements may increase the levels of T regulatory cells in healthy individuals and patients with autoimmune diseases. Vitamin D supplements may also increase T regulatory cell activity. In a meta-analysis of randomized controlled trials, vitamin D supplementation was shown to protect against acute respiratory infection. All right, here's, here's, the, here's the crux of the matter. So it says in a meta-analysis of randomized clinical trials. So they got all these clinical trials randomized. You know, this is Dr. Fauci's favorite. If it's not a double-blind, placebo-controlled, randomized trial, then Dr. Fauci says you're not following the science. Anyway, so this is um, what they say. Um, however, in two double-blind, placebo-controlled, randomized clinical trials, administering high doses of vitamin D to, here it goes, critically ill patients with vitamin D deficiency, but not COVID-19, did not reduce the length of stay of hospital or length of the hospital stay or the mortality rate when compared to placebo. So this is why this is the however part of this argument. So here we are. So they're saying that if people had low vitamin D uh, and were critically ill, if they gave them vitamin D and uh, the people, the people did not have a ch- change in the length of their hospital stay or mortality rate, rate compared to compared to placebo. So I don't know if that's important to know because we're not talking about critically ill patients. We're talking about uh, what, what they said here earlier in a meta-analysis of randomized controlled trials. Vitamin D supplementation was shown to protect against acute respiratory tract infection. Isn't that what COVID nineteen is? SARS uh, CoV two isn't that a uh, uh, a uh, acute respiratory tract infection. It just reminds me, you know, they kind of pick and choose a lot of times when they what they want to say or what they want the data to say, to so to speak, the science. It reminds me of the ivermectin thing, not ivermectin, I'm sorry, hydroclo- hydroxychloroquine or plaquenil early on. Obviously, plaquenil is a, you're not allowed to even mention it now, and it probably will be banned from YouTube, but if you want to see it anyway, go to Rumble where they won't ban you for that. Either way, so hydroxychloroquine, they did trials of this, and they said, look, uh, we, we, we want to try it. We want to see if you people are right. We're going to give hydroxychloroquine to people and see if it helps with COVID. And so they gave it to people, and sometimes uh, the, the hydroxychloroquine didn't help. And not only didn't help, it made things worse. And that's what we're always told, you know, people like uh, Joy Reid and all the intellectuals on The View. Other people like that, they were saying, um, and Brian Stelter uh, were saying that, you know, we have to be careful with black because it can cause blindness, it can cause heart problems, it can cause all these bad things. And here's a study that shows it doesn't even help. Well, the studies, if you look at those studies, a lot of them used doses of black which no one uses. Uh, they they use doses which were three and four times the amount of uh, what you would use normally. And then they say, look, this didn't help. It actually made things worse. Well, no crap. It makes me think about this vitamin D thing where they say, this is from CDC, uh, vitamin D supplementation was shown to protect against acute respiratory tract infection. 
aka COVID-19. However, it didn't help with critically ill patients who are vitamin D deficient. It, it just shows you have to think for yourself. And despite what uh, Helter Stelter Brian thinks, uh, you can do your own research. You can uh, research things yourself. You don't have to be spoon-fed information uh, as, as if you were a, a deprived, uh, brain-dead uh, individual. You can be uh, an active thinking person. At least uh, you, you should be able to. You can't be an active thinking person on Twitter. Uh, you, you can't really be an active thinking person on Facebook, uh, YouTube, if you if it depends on what you say. But for sure, for Twitter and Facebook, you cannot be an active, independent thinking person. But in normal life, uh, outside of the metaverse, you can do that if you want. This is some more on COVID. It's kind of boring, maybe, but it's important. This is uh, osteo- autopsy histologic path. I'm sorry, autopsy. Histio, histopathologic cardiac findings in two adolescents following the second COVID-19 vaccine dose. And this is uh, from the Archives of Pathology and Laboratory Medicine. And I think I got this as a uh, email. I get these emails from some group that gives COVID-19. I think it may be, uh, who is it, Cleveland Clinicers maybe? I don't know. Anyway, it says, this is an abstract from the study which was published in the Archives of Pathology and Laboratory Medicine. And it says, context, I'm going to read some of the abstract. Myocarditis in adolescents has been diagnosed clinically following the administration of the second dose of mRNA vaccine for coronavirus disease 2019, COVID-19. Objective, to do it, examine the autopsy microscopic cardiac findings in adolescent deaths that occurred shortly following the administration of the second Pfizer-BioNTech COVID-19 dose to determine if the, quote, myocarditis, in quotes, described in these instances had the typical histopathology of myocarditis. So they took two people, adolescents, mind you, who got the second COVID vaccine, Pfizer-BioNTech, and then died. And they were determined to have uh, myocarditis. They died of that. It says, design, clinical and autopsy investigation of two teenage boys who died shortly following the administration. Is that awful? Results. The microscopic examination revealed uh, features resembling a catecholamine-induced injury, not typical myocarditis pathology. Conclusion. The myocardial injury, myocardial injury seen in these post-vaccine hearts is different from typical myocarditis and has the appearance most closely resembling a catecholamine-mediated stress, quote, toxic, or in parentheses, toxic cardiomyopathy. Understanding these instances are different from top, typical myocarditis and that cytokine storm, which you, all see, you always hear about with uh, COVID-19, that's when people get really sick, is a cytokine storm. And that cytokine storm has a known feedback loop with catecholamines may help guide screening and therapy. Um, I don't know if they're trying to say that, uh, screening for, I guess, I'm not sure what they're meaning for screening and therapy. I'd have to read it. I guess screening to see if, uh, you got the COVID vaccine. If you're, uh, if you, if, if you're having heart problems, I don't know. Um, so that's interesting because it says the stress cardiomyopathy. This is something I'd learned about when I was in med school early on. And it was, uh, something called Takasubo. Cardiomyopathy. This is the Mayo Clinic's definition. And you may have heard of this called broken heart syndrome. It says broken heart syndrome may also be called 
stress cardiomyopathy, Takotsubo cardiomyopathy, apical ballooning syndrome. I've heard all of those. Uh, overview. Broken heart syndrome is a temporary heart condition that is often brought on by stressful situations and extreme emotions. The conditions can be triggered by a serious physical illness or injury. So we've seen this in patients who have uh, admitted to the hospital. The ones that I remember were people who had uh, a loved one die. And you also hear this is the old as the, you know, old as the hills. You hear people say, oh, so-and-so died of a broken heart. And it's just like, well, you know, that's kind of, they were sad and then they just died. But really, there is some pathophysiologic findings that you see in some individuals who do die with broken heart syndrome that are clearly uh, true, uh, truly a cardiac problem, not just a coincidence. And also, if you get the second COVID vaccine, potentially. Um, it says... Uh, People with broken heart syndrome may have sudden chest pain or think they're having a heart attack. Broken heart syndrome affects just part of the heart and temporarily disrupting the heart's usual pumping function. That's not good. The rest of the heart continues to work properly or even squeeze more forcefully. So what happens is this apical part of the heart um, is the the bottom of your heart. It's like right down here by your under your breast. And that's what this is. There's some ballooning there. I remember we diagnosed it with an echocardiogram when I was in the hospital, when I was a resident. And that's how you diagnose it. It says broken heart syndrome is often preceded by an intense physical or emotional event. For example, an illness such as asthma attack or COVID-19 major surgery or broken bone can lead to broken heart syndrome. Anything that causes a strong emotional response, such as a death or other loss or a strong argument may trigger that may trigger this condition. This is interesting down here. It says risk factors. Known risk factors for broken heart syndrome include, number one, sex. Broken heart syndrome is more common in women than in men. So that's interesting because as we are told, the myocarditis that you see with uh, the COVID-19 vaccine is more common in young men. So that's just something interesting to note. And just because you have broken heart syndrome doesn't mean you'll necessarily die from it it says that uh somewhere it says here how long this says broken heart syndrome can cause death however most people who have broken heart syndrome quickly recover and don't have long-lasting effects so that's good to prevent another episode of broken heart syndrome many health providers recommend a long-term treatment with beta blockers or similar medications that block the potentially damaging effects of stress hormones and that's what they're talking about here catecholamines or stress hormones uh, FDA exec on camera. This is from American Greatness. This is from Deborah Hine. And this is regarding uh, Project Veritas uh, reporting. It says, FDA exec says on hidden camera that yearly COVID-19, COVID shots will be mandatory for all Americans, including toddlers. So for most of you who are aware, uh, Project Veritas is this, um, if you listen to, if you, if you went on Wikipedia, this is what you would find. Uh, Project Veritas is a discredited uh, organization that purports to be a reporting agency that uses doctored videos to spread false information and misinformation and to uh, perpetuate hoaxes. That's if you read Wikipedia. What COVID, what Project Veritas is, is basically undercover reporting, uh, much like uh, journalists used to do. I mean, it's it pretty common for journalists to do investigative reporting. Now, to be a journalist, you have to be a good uh, a good member of the party. 
you're, and then if you're a really good member of the party, you can go from the outer party into the inner party. And then the thing, you know, you get this uh, Jeff Zucker status then. Um, but anyway, it says um, the Biden administration plans to make yearly COVID shots mandatory for all Americans, including young children. A Food and Drug Administration executive, executive told a Project Veritas undercover journalist on hidden camera. <clears throat> so he didn't know that he was being recorded. But it says in the Sting video released on Tuesday, Christopher Cole, chief officer of Countermeasures Initiative for the FDA, said, quote, Biden wants to inoculate as many people as possible. According to Project Veritas President James O'Keefe, Cole has, quote, over 20 years experience at the FDA and claims to be directly involved in the approval process. You'll have to get an annual shot, he told an undercover journalist during a dinner date. And I mean, it hasn't been formally announced yet. They don't want to, like, rile everyone up. But, yeah, if you're going to get an annual, I think it's going to happen. It's going to be a gradual thing. Schools are going to mandate it. So he was saying that it says uh, the plan has not been talked about, and they're not going to let the cat out of the bag, but they're going to slowly, slowly inch it in there. And it's kind of like what they did with Obamacare, which was the uh, Trojan horse to try to get uh, socialized medicine in place, but didn't didn't come to fruition um, completely. And, not, not, and when I say socialized medicine, I don't mean – um, that the government's going to pay for it, like Medicare for all. And it probably will be something more like uh, Medicaid for all. And then there will be certain uh, groups, companies, who are going to be the ones to administer it. So if you really think about it, that's more of uh, you know, a fascist type of control where the, the, the state controls the private industry and regulates as if it were the owner, kind of like a silent partner. But uh, that's what they were going to try to do, I think, with Obamacare. But back to this. It says, this is again from the article from American Greatness. Cole also brazenly discussed the corrupt relationship between the FDA and vested interests like pharmaceutical companies who pay the government, quote, millions of dollars a year to make sure their products get approved. This is, quote, the drug companies, the food companies, the vaccine companies, they pay us hundreds of millions of dollars a year to hire and keep the reviewers to produce, approve their products. If they, Big Pharma, can get every person required to get an annual vaccine that is a recurring return of money going into their company. Oh, of course. Uh, Absolutely. It says, um, Cole explained that the emergency use authorization allows FDA to overlook the concerns of mandating potentially dangerous vaccines on children. When asked if the FDA would approve the emergency use authorization of the experimental vaccine for toddlers, Cole replied, they're all approved under emergency just because it's, I mean, he means that when they do these types of things, these vaccines, these COVID-19 vaccines, he goes, they're all approved, meaning they, those, these vaccines, are all approved under an emergency just because it's not as impactful as some of the other approvals. He added that, quote, efficacy data, does it work, for experimental vaccines, quote, doesn't have to be as high, in quotes. He explained that the standard for emergency use authorization is it does more benefit than harm. So that's that's it. You know, I, I tell you what does more benefit than harm: exercising two hours a day. It, for some people, it may cause them to have a heart attack, but for most people, it won't, and it actually get them in shape. Uh, should we go ahead and mandate that now? Only if it's in a pill, huh, or an injection? Uh, nevertheless, when asked if how he knows the vaccines for toddlers will be approved, Cole answered, quote, just from everything I've heard, they're not going to not approve it. 
He went on to admit, there's always a chance for long-term effects, especially with someone younger. Yeah, no crap. And then the, the, the FDA says this. <clears throat> Following the release of the bombshell video, the FDA released a statement saying, the, purport, the person purporting in the video, purported, okay, the person purportedly in the video does not work on vaccine matters and does not represent the views of the FDA. Well, this guy says, this is an update. It says, part two of Project Veritas series on the FDA. Cole explains, the drug companies, the food companies, the vaccine companies pay us hundreds of millions of dollars. We already read that part. The executive also explained why no one on the inside blows a whistle. There's not an incentive to speak out in government, surprisingly. You would think there would be, but there is not. It's just better you not say anything and just ignore what he said. Um, so this guy here is probably uh, clean, cleaned out his desk, I think, by now. Um, just something to be interested in is next time you hear the the uh, government's going to be mandating something, you always have to think about what is the what is the um, what's the financial interest behind it. Certainly, there are some good things out there that Pfizer has done, and most of the things they have done have been good. But if this is true, and it'd be interesting to have FDA. Uh, reply to this more than just saying this does not represent our views and did not work on vaccine matters. Let's really have an honest debate about it. You know, what is the approval process like? What is the FDA doing now? What is the reason for the FDA? The FDA, uh, if you if you look back in the history, was the came out of the Food and Drug Impurities Act, I believe, 1906, and said, um, you know, there's drugs out there and food that's adulterated. We need to have a better way of making sure people are safe. And then so they, they passed this, uh, this law and then they created the FDA. And now the FDA is in charge of so many things. I mean, there's FDA, the CDC, NIH, uh, all of these arms of the government, uh, the executive branch, which are not elected and therefore not beholden to any voters and oftentimes not beholden to anybody if they get something wrong. I mean, look, look, look at uh, the people who are in office. Um, you know, look at people like, you know, Dr. Fauci, for instance, is it, is it possible that Dr. Fauci would ever be fired? Impossible. He's been there longer than, uh, most people listening to this have been alive in Washington and he's still there. So once you get in, you're, you're in, and but the FDA and all these other groups, we have to know, it'd be better to know what they do and it'd be better if they did less It'd be better if they had a less of a, uh, let's say this, it'd be better if they had a more um, streamlined mission. If their mission was more narrow and not so comprehensive. And that's in government in general. That's America's free market doctor. And uh, you don't, I'm not saying a free market's only for, for, for money, for economics, for food. Uh, I'm talking about free market of ideas and you have to, you have to have a free market of ideas. Cause if you don't, you'll end up having uh, crap come to market and you see that in any place where there's a absence of a free market. Look at these social media companies who control things. You know, that's funny thing about social media companies, Facebook, Twitter, all these other companies, they start out, they're little, They'd be starting a garage or a dorm room, and then they become giant and giant and giant and gianter. And then they say, okay, now we're so big, we need to be regulated. 
we're getting too big. We need to be regulated. So then they say to their buddies in Congress, you need to regulate us. And the people in Congress say, okay, well, give us some ideas. So then they get a work group together and they say, we need regulations on this, this, and this, because we want to uh, do uh, the right thing. And we don't want people to be subjected to things that they, they shouldn't be subjected to. So the government should tell us what we can do as a social media giant tech company. And so they say, okay, yeah, let's put these laws in place. So then they put these laws into place that are draconian, but they can do it because they're Facebook, they're Twitter, um, you know, they're YouTube, they're Google. They can do these things, and then they can then limit the amount of uh, competitors they have into their market. And then back to my point is when you don't have a free market for, for products, crap comes to, to the market like Facebook. And then uh, same thing with ideas. I mean, look at the, what is the free market for ideas at the university? Uh, your average university, your local university, no matter what, where, where you're at, the chances are the free market for ideas at your university is, is, is not there. There's no free market. There is a, a state-sponsored market, a.k.a. that of the establishment that says certain things. And I guarantee you, there is not much freedom of thought there as you would think there should be on a college campus. And if you don't believe me, go spend some time, you know, on a college campus or read, you know, read some of the things that have to do with that. And uh, Americans, uh, Young Americans for Freedom, I believe, is one of the organizations, GAF, W or Y-A-F dot org, um, that talks a lot about college and, and what it's like to be on college with a different point of view. And that one is that one of the not of the mainstream left point of view. It's very difficult. We know people who quit college because of it. They felt so uh, um, they felt like they, they didn't have a place there. There was no reason for them to be there any longer because they, they weren't treated with respect. Uh, what else? I was going to talk about something else. Um, anyway, that's it for today. Uh, we are going to uh, be back next week. And if you are in the area in Tampa and you want to join us, please come in and say hi. We are here to uh, give you uh, as much uh, medical care as you feel like you need as a concierge practice. And that's what we do. Uh, see patients as, as often or as little as they need. But mostly what we do is work with them on a very personal level to give them freedom in their health care and then also give them convenience and also have them be in a comfortable environment where they feel like they can not be rushed through their appointment and have to wait online for uh, phone trees and all the other stuff. Um, but that's it for today. And if you want to join us on YouTube or rumble, please do so. And then you can also listen on any of your podcast, um, any of the podcasts, um, uh, platforms out there, including iHeartRadio and Spotify and everything else. You know, one thing that's what I want to say. I wanted to say that this is like yesterday was the one year anniversary of the uh, the death of Rush Limbaugh. And if it wasn't for Rush Limbaugh, most everybody you listen to on uh, on AM radio now would not be there, left or right. Rush uh, revolutionized broadcasting. He made AM radio a sleepy, dying format into the robust format it is today. And podcasting, the not podcasting isn't directly related to AM radio, but the format, the idea that you get on there and you're able to talk and share your opinion and inform others and connect to others through that medium is, 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 is also part of that whole movement that you don't have to have 
the limited market that you get used to have before Rush. Uh, ABC, NBC, a, uh, NBC, CBS, uh, Wall Street Journal, New York Times. That was it. That was the media. That was that was all the media was. And there was none of this alternative stuff. Uh, even, like I said, before Rush, there was no alternatives to the big media. Now you have alternatives. You have alternatives left and right because of him. Uh, I would I would I would reason to say that if there was no Rush Limbaugh, there would be no Daily Beast today, not because the people who run Daily Beast like Rush, but because he blazed a trail that made uh, that type of um, uh, that type of conversation where you you go bypass these gatekeepers made that common and made that desirable. So uh, that is for Rush, who is no longer with us for one year now. And uh, anyway, if you want to join us next time, please do so. We'll see you then. Bye bye.